good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, this season of, of Thanksgiving is, of course, a very significant season in this nation. But, of course, it particularly marks the very blessing of God. It has that God-centered focus. And before we go further tonight, I'd like to read Romans chapter 1, some verses there. So please turn in your Bibles together, Romans chapter 1. It is uh, a neglected theme, sadly, in the wider world, that thankfulness is indeed a mark of biblical theism, and that atheism is marked by an ingratitude. And you see it here, we're going to read from the verse 15. And Paul's saying here, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the part of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, and they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Amen. May God bless his word. And it is, of course, those words, the middle of verse number 21, that I turn your attention to, where it says, neither were thankful. And if we are to succumb to the spirit of this age, it may well be shown in an ingratitude to the good things that God has provided for us. Temporal, but of course beyond that, the spiritual blessings we enjoy in Christ Jesus. And it's a tragedy when those who publicly come into the house of God and publicly claim to know the name of God, it's a tragedy when they are embittered and resentful and discontented and do not show that thankful spirit and so it may not be true of ourselves, but regularly, day by day, may we reflect upon the good things that God has given unto us, and even be thankful for the things that are not outwardly good, because all things work together for the good of God's people. And hence we're told to give thanks in all things, at all times, in all circumstances. We are to return thanks unto the Lord. And so whenever we see life and its challenges, and there are many of them, Yet in every challenge, God is at work, and therefore we give thanks to his name. So let's read from Philippians chapter 1 and the verse number 1, and let's hear the word of the Lord. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, 
Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Paul, as he prays, even as he relates his prayers, shows the emotional heart of a true man of God in prayer. He prays with joy and with thankfulness. His prayers are, are not routine and rote. He's involved in an emotional exercise. And prayer has that emotional engagement as a man or a woman bows their heads in the presence of the triune God. Thus, at seasons, prayer involves grief and sorrow, but also joy and thankfulness. And so Paul is able to see grace in believers. He's able to discern the work of God and reflect upon the work of God. And as he sees God's grace in the lives of the people, then he returns thanks to God for that grace. We have an example of it here, as Paul will say in verse number 3 of Philippians 1, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. This is not a perfect church. Like Corinth, like Philippi, or like Corinth, like other churches, Philippi has its problems. Uh, clearly there is an underlying challenge, perhaps, of a disunited spirit that may arise. Clearly they are guilty at times of not being joyful, hence the various exhortations that are given. But even this imperfect church, Paul is able to see grace and then genuinely say that he can thank God when he remembers the people in Philippi. And when he gives thanks to the church, we're getting an insight into what should provoke thankfulness in the man of God. What should a pastor look for in the church? What should the pastor see in the church and then return thanks unto God? Now, Paul tells us here, he says in verse number 3 again, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And then he goes on down to verse number 5 in terms of the connecting thought. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And so at the very core of his thankfulness, it has to do with this matter of the fellowship of the believers in the gospel. So what's that all about? Well, to begin with, let's think about the essence of fellowship here in this context. You need to understand the word fellowship. Then we need to understand how it fits in with this, uh, this phrase, fellowship in the gospel. Now, when determining the meaning of a word, it's important to, to go through various processes. And there can be some help in the, the roots, in the, the sort of central meaning of the word. And here the word speaks of a partner or a companion, an associate, or someone that is a sharer. Those are the kind of meanings of the word that is used in a, in a general context. But when you look at the use of the word in the New Testament, it has, a, it has quite a broad usage. 
And it's used regarding fellowship between men in the church. The early Pentecostal church in Acts chapter 2, they give themselves to, to fellowship. It's also used in relation to our fellowship with the Lord. Philippians chapter 2, you look over there, and the verse number 1 refers to, if any, fellowship of the Spirit. And so there's a sense of associating with, sharing with, in terms of, of humanity, in terms of the church, uh, but also even with the triune God. And so at times the word is translated with the word communion. 1 Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 13. At other times, though, it has a sense of communicating or contributing or distributing. It has even the sense of, of a financial sharing in the, in the work of God. But in the context here, Paul says, it is your fellowship in the gospel. And he explains that down in the verse number 7. He says, even as it is meet, it is suitable for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch, and he used the explanation, what does this fellowship in the gospel look like? Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. So the thought clearly flows from verse 3 all the way down to verse number 7. And you've got a connection with the sense of the gospel. The fellowship of the gospel in verse number 5. And then verse number 7, the comfort, the defense, and the confirmation of the gospel. And so I think in light of that, Paul is using the word fellowship in the sense of a partnership. He's thankful for the Philippian church's partnership in his labors of sharing the gospel. Paul is not just thankful for what believers are. They're in Christ. They're the children of God. And in other epistles, he, he reflects upon what God has done in their lives. But here, he is thankful for what they have done. He's thankful that they are in partnership with him in the extension of the gospel of Christ. And to that, I can say amen. Thankful. Uh, we together are laborers together. There's a partnership in the gospel in this place. We're striving together in that sense. And the apostle here delights in the local church. Delights in the church's involvement in the gospel. That though the rules may vary, that every member of the local church has a place to play in this fellowship in the gospel, in this work of partnership. Clearly, these words imply the unity of the people. They are with each other. This partnership arises out of the fact that they are in Christ individually and then in Christ corporately. They share this identity and as such, when they are united together with God and united together with each other, there is then this community. There's a unity, there's a community. Look what he says in verse number four again. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. There's a community sense in those words. He's, he's happy to say with sincerity. He's happy to thank the entire congregation, all of them, for their partnership. All the saints are mentioned there in verse number one. Male and female. All working together for the same purpose. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, we are laborers together with God. It's a blessing. It's a privilege 
This unity of the people is also involving a unity of purpose. Their partnership has a focus, a goal, it's a united purpose. It's the cause of the gospel. It's the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He refers to the defense. That, of course, has a connection with his bonds. Paul will write this letter to the Philippians as he's in prison for his defense of the gospel. He is a man of God who's determined to stand for the Savior. And the local church is in partnership in this defense of the gospel. The local church must always be interested in the defense. The word clearly speaks of attack. You defend in response to an attack. An offensive front against the gospel requires this defensive uh, position as this partnership continues. Paul highlights two ways in which the gospel is under attack at this time. You look at chapter 3, he highlights the attack of the legalist. He refers to them and in verse number three, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And he's going to warn them here. It's not grievous. It's safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And in verse three is an opposite to the verse number two. There are those and they did not worship God in the spirit. They did not rejoice in Christ and they had confidence in the flesh. It was early on in the life of the New Testament church that there was a, a Judaizing as to the attack against the gospel. Christ plus works. Christ plus obedience to the Old Testament ceremonies. And whenever you add to Christ, you subtract from Christ. It's an attack on the gospel. And that had to be defended against. There was also the attack from the other side of the licentious. He refers to them in verse 18 of chapter 3. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you in weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Here's another attack, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. So on the one hand, there were those who were saying that if you're going to have Christ, you must have Christ, but you must continue with the ritual obedience to the Old Testament. On the other hand, there are those that if you have Christ and forgiveness, you can simply live as you please. There should be no restrictions upon your earthly appetites. And these are always the extremes that set out to destroy the gospel of Christ. Christ is sufficient. Everything the believer needs is found in Christ and in Christ alone. There is no inadequacy. We have nothing to add. And the minute we think we should add something, we're taking from the sufficiency of Christ. But the gospel of Christ is a gospel that also leads on to holiness. And that those who have Christ hate sin, they love obedience. And so they don't work to secure Christ, but they work out of those who have secured Christ. And so these attacks are at place. What is interesting in the word that is used in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 7, in this word defense, is that it is the word that we get our word apology from. It's the same word used in 1 Peter chapter 3 about giving a reason. A reason, a defense, a reason for the hope that's within us. You see, the church of Christ 
It needs to be clear in its thinking. It needs to understand why it believes what it believes. It's not enough to say that we are this and that and the other thing. We need to know why we believe what we believe. And if we are to continue in a partnership in the gospel, it is only as we continue to understand the gospel and then be able to defend it robustly from the various attacks that will come in our own day and generation. You need to know the gospel. And what would cause a pastor to be thankful now, this season of thankfulness is a congregation who can explain why they believe what they believe and can defend the gospel from the attacks of error. That leads on to the other thing in terms of this unity of purpose, and that is not only where they set for the defense of the gospel, but also the confirmation of it. The church has an interest in the positive. We have a responsibility not only to know what we don't believe, but also to know what we do believe. Again, sometimes in a, a separate witness, in a fundamental witness, in a reformed witness, when people ask us what we are, we are very quick to say all the things that we're not. But what are we? Well, we are a place, I trust, with the help of God, that believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we believe that he is the God-man, sent from the Father into the earth, one person, two natures. We believe that he came, born of a virgin. We believe they lived a perfectly sinless life. We believe he died a death of penal substitution. He rose again the third day. He ascended, he reigns, and he will return. We believe these various doctrines, and because they are so dear to us, we are for the confirmation of the gospel. We have a determination to stand and to defend what is true. So Paul reflects upon that. And he uses the sense in the essence of this fellowship, it is a partnership in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. But he also has in mind the expression of this fellowship. And just, I want to draw three particular ways in which he sees this fellowship expressed. It is expressed practically. Paul, as he thinks about the church in Philippi, thinks about how they served him practically. Philippians chapter 4 and the verse number 15. For ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. There's the partnership. There was a, a financial, a practical aspect as they sought to defend and confirm the gospel. An understanding that it was, it was important to, to buy into it in that practical sense. This Philippian church actually is a model church when it comes to the matter of the financial support of the gospel. Paul refers to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit to know of the grace of God bestowed in the churches of Macedonia, one of which is Philippi. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. This partnership not only supported the ministry, it supported the people. There was a desire to, to be part of a fellowship of God's people and support them practically. So they supported them practically with their, their money, but also with their man. There's a very interesting feature in the Philippian church. Epaphroditus 
was sent from the Philippian church to support and encourage the Apostle Paul. You have that in chapter 4 of Philippians in the verse number 18. But I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. So he has this financial backing, this practical support, but it came from the hand of a brother. Epaphroditus is referred to back in chapter 2 of Philippians and the verse number 25 as their messenger. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you. He's going to send Epaphroditus back. My brother and companion and labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger. They'd sent their pastor away for a time. They'd sent their pastor away for a time to encourage someone else in the Lord's work. And I have to bear witness and, again, encourage you that I, I delight that when, I, when at times I have to go away from this pulpit, that I do not feel that you are seeking to restrict that. You're prepared to, to, to send someone away or encourage the Lord's people elsewhere. That's being involved in the partnership of the gospel. You know that when you are supporting a ministry here, now you understand that there's a benefit in terms of supporting and encouraging others in the things of God. So there is this practical expression of fellowship. There's also a prayerful expression of fellowship. That's chapter 1 and the verse number 19. Where Paul says, For I know, he's talking about the trials and the struggles. Will he live? Will he die? And he says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. And yes, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. But he's happy to put these things together. The importance of the prayers of the Philippian believers. No one should ever feel they have nothing to contribute to the gospel. They should not come and say, well, I'm not a gifted evangelist. I'm not a gifted public speaker. I'm a very shy and retired person. I don't have anything to give in terms of the gospel. Every believer must be involved in a determined fellowship in the gospel in terms of a prayer ministry. And that we're all involved in that. And that's, that's not just for this place, but it's for the, the wider work of God across the world. Paul is reflecting upon this fellowship. He also looks upon their personal witness. Look at chapter 2. He refers to the Philippian believers that uh, you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Uh, that much we understand. They're in the world, they're not off the world, they're showing the word of life, they're sharing the gospel of people. But look what he says that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Here you see a partnership. They support Paul, but Paul also sees their labors in the gospel as the fruits of his ministry. They're involved together. As he labors, they work. As they labor, he works. There's a mutuality in the work that causes joy in the heart of the apostle. What a glorious picture it is of a vibrant and a healthy dynamic in the ministry of the gospel. That's the expression of this fellowship. How is it enabled? Well, it's enabled in verse number 7. I'm just going to mention the words. And ye all are partakers of my grace. It doesn't mean that Paul is a dispenser of grace. 
Rather, they are sharing in the same grace that he enjoys. And he says elsewhere that God's grace, of course, is sufficient. And the only way that a church will be engaged in this fellowship in the gospel is by the grace of God. Not in her own efforts and not in her own resources, but only by the grace of God. And as God's grace is poured out upon the church, then we increase in this partnership. That's a motivation to pray, isn't it? That more and more we'd know more of this grace, that we'd know more of this partnership, and we'd see the gospel of Christ extended further and further for the glory of his name. We also note and find in finishing the enduring of this fellowship. Look how he describes it in verse number 5 of chapter 1. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The first day. Whenever someone is born again with the Spirit of God, they immediately have an interest in the gospel. Because Paul would say that the minute somebody is born again with the Spirit of God, they've come to love Christ and they want to share Christ. They want Christ to be known in the world. It's part of what it is. By God's grace that continues from the first day until now because God which begins a good work will perform it, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I do and I can thank the Lord for this congregation that there is an enduring in the fellowship of the gospel. We delight in that, we rejoice in that. But let us not grow weary. Let's ensure that we don't give up on the public prayer seasons. Let's ensure that we're, we're, we're not backward in the terms to seeking to support the missionary needs of our denomination. Let's ensure that we don't fall back, but by God's grace, we continue to endure in this fellowship in the gospel. That is what gives delight to the Apostle Paul. It's what ought to give delight and thankfulness in the heart of any child of God. For it is a reflection of the will of God for his church. And so, as we thank the Lord tonight, we're thankful for his grace. The grace that saves us and the grace that brings us to forgiveness of sins is a grace that also brings us into a partnership in the gospel. What a privilege and what a blessing. And may we thank God for his mercy and his goodness toward us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. Or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.